the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Greenleaf from the National Prayer Chapel. With me in studio 
my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We have always sought on this broadcast to do two things. One, to urge you, to invite you, to call you, to turn away from all rebellion against Jesus, to be absolutely washed clean. If you remember in the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said to them, you're all clean, except one. The cry of our heart is that we should all be clean before Jesus. We want you to be clean before Jesus. And then our second purpose in this broadcast is to encourage you in that walk of innocence before God to lift up the teaching of the scriptures and share it with you in such a way that you are compelled, urged, invited to go deeper and deeper with Jesus. For us, everything is about Jesus. And so we're inviting you today. If you're still caught in sin, to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to deliver you from that sin now, today. And then secondly, we pray that this broadcast will encourage you. Now, we've been reading chapter after chapter of this incredible book, Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger, the story of this woman's ministry in Hong Kong. Thousands in the last 50 years and ongoing now have come to Jesus and become very honest, serious, spirit-filled Christians. We rejoice in that. But we want to see that happen here in Washington. So let's begin today by recognizing that some of you have repented of your sin. You have turned from darkness. And now you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to begin today by praying for you. Lord Jesus, there are many listening who have become very serious about following you. And they have turned away from their sin. Some of them today are rejoicing in your love and your mercy and your kindness and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit baptism. But Lord, others are hungry and asking to be baptized in your spirit, even just speaking in new tongues. Lord, all of us need the Pentecost baptism of power. But today I'm asking specifically, would you baptize those in the Holy Spirit who are listening to this broadcast and who are hungry for more of you, Jesus, and who desire that fullness in their heart to speak in tongues, to give them an inner power and to give them a love and a concern for the lost and the dying. 
Lord, would you come now and baptize that precious person who's waiting before you? I just stand by faith. You are doing that right now. Lord, our confidence is in you. Our trust is in you. Would you come and move in power now? Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We're going to share with you more of the Jackie Pullinger story, and the reason we're sharing this with you is that most of you have listened to preaching and preaching and preaching. But this story gives us a blow-by-blow account of what it was like in the book of Acts in a modern setting. We want you to be filled with this Spirit. We're crying out for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost power, the power to heal the sick, the power to share the gospel in a way that men and women are converted. We want revival now on the radio, even as we're speaking to you. We want you to to absolutely be filled with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit and know the fullness of Jesus. Well, let's turn, and we're going to share some scripture later. But right now, let's turn to the story of Jackie Pullinger. We're reading from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. Last time we shared about one of the gang leaders who was meeting with Jackie for several months, was not himself Christian, and yet was inviting Jackie to come to his gambling dens and his opium dens and preach to the addicts. And some of them were healed, and as a result, many believed in Jesus. And after several months, finally this gang leader believed in Jesus and was even baptized in the Holy Spirit with a literal parrot escaping from its cage and landing on his head. But unfortunately, he did not immediately have a quick, painless coming off of heroin. He remained a heroin addict. So we'll hear today how Pullinger came to realize that it is possible for every single Christian to be completely freed from addiction from the very beginning. And I want you to hear this because you've may have been a Christian for some time, or you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, and yet you've been unable to get free of perhaps a drug addiction or some other form of addiction or some other particular sin, and you feel as if you know God can do it, but why isn't it happening? Well, I hope that this story today will encourage you and lead you into that very freedom and that you will be free today from whatever is holding you captive. So what you're saying, Alexandra, out of this story, is that it's possible to be free now. Yes. You don't have to wait. Yes. You can drag it out if you choose, and this man did. But you don't have to do it that way. Right? 
He didn't drag it out on purpose. He just didn't know better. There's no reason to drag it out. Yes. God wants us to be free. The call of God on our lives is to be free. He wants to bless and encourage and lift us out of Satan's grasp and walk with us in fellowship. This gang leader's name is Ake. She writes, Ake told me that he would not believe in Jesus in a hurry because if he built a house quickly, it would fall down just as fast. But the night he was baptized, he began to put his life in order immediately. He went home to his wife for the first time in many months. She looked as if she would like to believe Ake had changed, but she had such a deep distrust of her husband that she was afraid it would all turn out to be a forlorn hope. Ah Bing had married Ake seven years previously. Their courtship could not have started more badly. Ake met her at a party and seduced her in order to sell her as a prostitute, but he fell in love with her and decided to keep her instead, which was only temporarily to her advantage. Years of neglect then reduced this once pretty girl to a careless sloven who kept their tiny resettlement room in a filthy state. In a way, this wife, Ah Bing, was right to be cynical, for when Ah Ke decided to build his Christian house, it demanded too great a cost. He not only relinquished his vast illegal income and control over men with no alternative source of cash to care for his family, but he also had to face coming off opium and heroin. Ake did not immediately come off drugs, and I did not know what to do about it. Some addicts who became Christians were delivered instantly, while others went to Pastor Chan's center to withdraw, where there was a greater amount of aftercare. Ake applied to this center and others, but he was refused admittance because there was no place available. What could I say to him? Pray, Ake, and you'll get off drugs miraculously? I could say, pray, and perhaps you will cut down gradually. That would be compromise. I could try. Pray, and maybe God will give you money for your heroin. But surely God did not support drug habits. I could not take Ake into my house, for it was already full of boys who were either supposed to have quit heroin already, or who had come out of prison officially drug-free. I wondered what was happening in that house sometimes. Some of the residents behaved strangely, and I certainly did not want to mix an open drug-taker in with them. So I instead I encouraged Ake with a weak, God will work it out, and hoped that he could get into a withdrawal center sooner or later. Just before Christmas, I was awakened by a telephone call at 4.30 in the morning. I never liked to sound as though I had just woken up, so if I had just woken up, my solution was to clear my throat and practice saying good morning, good morning, very brightly, so that by the time I picked up the receiver, I sounded like the bird of the dawn. Well, Ake okay, was in no mood for these sunrise greetings. He had called me to say goodbye. Thank you, Miss Poon, for these past nine months of Jesus talk, your care and consideration. But my gang brothers were right all along. I can't be saved. Yes, you can. Anything is possible with God. I meant it sincerely, but my words sounded weak to my own ears. It's no good. I can't be a Christian anymore. What do you mean you can't be a Christian? I can't afford it. I've given up running the gangs. I've given up running the girls, the gambling, and the drugs. 
Now I have nothing left to live on. I can't afford to be a Christian. Thank you very much, Miss Poon, for everything you've done. I'll never forget you, but I will not be seeing you again. It just didn't work. I tried desperately to reason with him. I dragged up every argument I could think of. I hunted around for suitable Bible texts. We couldn't lose him. If I could keep him talking, maybe the trouble would go away. But his voice sounded harder and harder, and he was impossible to reach. He was far colder than before he had become a Christian, and he started to speak cruelly and bitterly. I could hear him carrying on a simultaneous argument with someone at the other end, and then he said he was going to find Ah Chun to kill him. Ah Kei, you can't kill people. You're a Christian. He was long past listening to my pathetic interjections. He was high on heroin, and having furiously informed me that he would shortly be forced to do a couple of robberies to raise some money, he hung up. I stared at the phone in the gloom. I really could not believe what I had heard. I did not want to accept the fact that someone who had believed in Christ could contemplate murder. I quickly rang up Jean and Rick. They knew that both Ake and I had a talent for the dramatic, but they soon listened with deep concern. You've got to get up and pray, I said. I think he's going out to murder someone, and he's planned a couple of robberies. There aren't many people I could tell to do this at that time of night, but these two prayed. I prayed despairingly all through the Christmas celebrations. I cried all through the Christmas carols. Joy to the world? I thought tragically, it doesn't look very joyful to me. Because I was grieved for Ake, I was also a little angry with God. Lord, I really believed you were the answer. How can it be that he knew you and then didn't want you? You didn't do everything you were supposed to either, Lord, did you? I mean, he believed in you, and others did too, and look at them now. There are a load of addicts and spiritual cripples lying around the streets, being a reproach to Christ. People look at them and mock, what a god. He started a miracle, but it didn't last. It was something that came and went. I wonder if some of you listening today share any of those sentiments. Are you angry with God? Do you think God hasn't done enough for you? Or enough for someone that you've been very concerned about? What is your attitude today? Are you just nonchalant? You've given up? You're cynical? As one listener said to me, Pastor, I'm just cynical. I believe in God, but I don't believe God's going to do anything for me. And he was in a terrible situation. You know, most terrible situations that we find ourselves in, we find ourselves in that place because of decisions we've made. And part of what I've had to do is go back and look at those choices and decisions and see not only how they've influenced and impacted my life, but how they've destroyed others and made their burdens heavier. All I've known to do is to take that to Jesus and to give up my anger, to renounce my anger. Cynicism for me is not a choice. It's a dead-end death trap. 
The devil can put ideas in our minds and in our hearts. We've got to turn that to Jesus. I'd like to make some specific comments on this. First of all, from the perspective of some of you are endeavoring to bring others to Jesus, and you have faced these kinds of difficulties. You've met someone who needs healing. You've met someone who says, I really do want to stop this sin, and they can't. You've met someone who can't quit the drinking and the smoking. They've tried and they've tried. You've prayed with them. You've tried to take a faith stand on a promise of God, and it seems like nothing's working. Or it's gotten worse. And then you say, well, maybe he was never converted. Or maybe he's just, you know, God's just not going to save him. Maybe he's not one of the elect. Or you say, well, he just must not have enough faith. If he just had enough faith, then he would be saved. The fact is that none of those are fixing the problem. We need the problem fixed. And what we're going to see as we continue this story is how Jesus really did begin to move to save every single one of these addicts. Yes. And he will move to save you. Yes, and the second thing is if you are one of these people who you have been trying to get free and you haven't been able to, listen, there is hope for you. Jackie Pullinger continues, I hunted for any Christian who could reassure me that when Christ began a good work in someone, he would carry it to completion. I believed this was true, but it certainly did not look as if God was doing his part right then. Some days later, Ake turned up on my doorstep. I don't know why I've come. I was just passing. But anyway, goodbye. Wait a minute, I said. What about the robberies? Well, said Ake, looking rather sheepish, my wife got the pillowcases all ready, hoods for our armed robbery, slits cut in them so we could see through. The first time we got everybody together, we found that one of my own gang had given the game away, so we couldn't do it. The second time, we were sitting in the car, all prepared with knives. We were ready to drive off, but I just did not feel like doing a robbery that day, so we didn't go. He'd also been unable to find the man he wanted to murder the night that he'd called me. I thought it was time we now did something positive about Ake's future. Right, I said. We're now going to see the Willenses. You've got to talk to them. It's time someone was firm with you. We left the house, and on the way, Ake bought a gift of oranges wrapped in pink paper. He presented it to Jean and Rick, and we all ate dinner together. As usual, Jean was extremely hospitable, but I could see that she was becoming more and more annoyed at a situation in which a true believer was not coming off drugs. Do you have any problems, she asked him while I translated. Oh, no problems, he said, and then added, well, just one. I'm still on heroin. When we were in Indonesia and had no money, Jean continued firmly, we prayed and it simply appeared in front of us. If you're really serious about Jesus, he will do anything you ask. I'm serious, nodded Ake. Well, would you like to stay here and withdraw from heroin? Jean asked. I was amazed. This was what I had hoped for and longed for but never dared suggest. As I knew how precious the peace of her home was to Jean, she herself had never meant to suggest it either, 
but concern for Ake's future and the Spirit of God worked together in her to bring out an invitation that surprised her. I agree, said Ake. He opened up his jacket, took out some red paper packets of heroin, and flushed them down the toilet bowl. Next, Ake made some dramatic gestures. First, we went back to his resettlement home where he tore down the idols his mother kept and threw them out of the room. Then he reached under the be bed and dragged out a box containing several weeks' supply of heroin. He washed it all down the toilet while we watched. Finally, we took him back to the Willens's flat in the Mayfu district, where he climbed into bed. Jean called a Christian doctor and asked what to expect from a ten-year addict with a one-hundred-dollar-a-day habit. The doctor said that without medication, Ake would suffer agonies, accompanied by chills, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, and intense stomach cramps. He might roll on the floor with pain and become violent to the point of attacking his helpers. He did not advise it, but if Jean insisted on her course of action, he would come around and administer a substitute drug, methadone. We will try Jesus, said Jean, refusing his offer, and so began the experiment. I spent three sleepless nights sitting with Ake. I expected all the terrible side effects, but he slept like a baby. At the end of three days, I looked haggard and unkempt, and he looked wonderful. When he did wake up, if he experienced any twinge of pain, we would quickly urge him to pray in tongues, and the pain would miraculously disappear. Now we knew without a shadow of a doubt that praying in the spirit was the answer for painless withdrawal from heroin. Ake was able to eat well and ordered cheese sandwiches, which he swallowed voraciously. After four days, Ake's wife came around to see him. She tried to persuade him to go home, as he was cured. We opposed this firmly. He still needed care and a drug-free environment. Fortunately, he was suddenly seized by withdrawal effects, sensations of terrible cold followed by feelings of tremendous heat. As Ake had once before tried unsuccessfully to withdraw from heroin in China, he knew how terrible the pains could be. We all went back to praying in the spirit to obtain relief, and as we worshipped God, the pains left him. Again, God had delivered him. On the fifth day, Ake knew he was free from heroin, but he still badly wanted to smoke. He did not want to give up cigarettes. Rick insisted that if he did not free himself from tobacco addiction as well, he would not be free. Ake was very unhappy about this, and on the seventh day, he persuaded the Willens' Buddhist maid to give him a couple of filter tips. Almost immediately, he felt the pains he should have felt during his heroin withdrawal. All of us redoubled our prayer effort, and once he was willing to agree to Rick's demand, the pain disappeared. Throughout his withdrawal period and for the next few months, I was commuting between my own house and Meifu because the miracle of Ake's healing was repeated with several of his friends. Jean took Ake to the Hilton to get his hair cut. There he ran into his old friend Wachai, whom he'd introduced him to the crime rackets years earlier. Ake persuaded him to come back to the Willens' flat, and we had an impromptu meeting. During the meeting, I had a message in tongues, but there was no interpretation. 
As St. Paul says, there has to be an interpretation every time someone has a message in tongues. So we waited and waited, but no one spoke. Finally, Wachai admitted that he received an interpretation but had been afraid to speak. He could not believe that God would use him because he was still on drugs, even though he'd recently been converted and received the gift of the Spirit. As he told us the interpretation of my message, he began to weep uncontrollably. After that, it was only a matter of sitting with him while he had a painless withdrawal from heroin. As with Ake, whenever he had pains, he began to pray in the spirit and so felt better. At the following Thursday night prayer meeting, yet another boy who had accepted Jesus asked for the power of Christ to free him from his addiction. After the prayer meeting was over, I suggested that he come off drugs that very night. By this time, the Willens' flat was full, so we rented a room for him in one of the apartment houses generally used as a brothel, and I sat up all night praying. For the next four days, other boys in our group sat and prayed with him until he had completely withdrawn. We took two hourly shifts all day and night, quite confusing the proprietors of the hotel who were used to quite a different kind of clientele. Then when he was clear, he went and spent a week in the Willens' flat to complete his rehabilitation. Two weeks later, Ake decided to go and spend a week in China. A whole group of us went to see him at the railway station. When he arrived at the Chinese border, the Chinese security guards wanted to know who the people were who had seen him off at the station. He replied that there was an American, Rick, an English girl, me, and his Chinese friends. Who, they asked, were the Westerners. Oh, they're the people who told me about Jesus Christ, he said cheerfully. All right, answer us this, the guards replied. Who were better, Chinese people or Westerners? Ake replied, well, being Chinese, I naturally think Chinese are better, but these Westerners are Christians, and so they're very good. In fact, I find I like them very much. At this point, the guards, who may have belonged to some kind of special security branch, revealed that they knew exactly who Ake was. They knew he often tried to smuggle drugs across the border and that he was a leader in the triad gangs. Why are you not trying to smuggle drugs this time? They demanded. Who are those Westerners? What are their names? How did you get involved with them? The questioning was relentless. Ake was completely frank with his questioners. He explained that he was off heroin because the Westerners had told him about Jesus and had prayed with him. He explained that he had left his triad gang, given up his criminal activities, and instead he was starting work in an office in March. The security men refused to believe him, saying that he could not have come off drugs. The Chinese opium wars had proved that no one could escape from addiction. Ake insisted that he had been free from drugs for the past six weeks, and now he believed in Jesus Christ and he was a new person. The security men asked if he had achieved this result with medicine. He explained that he had used no medicines. The whole cure had been effected with Jesus and the Bible. At this, the security men bristled and said that it was impossible. Clearly, the Westerners were exploiting him. This was Ake's cue to launch into a full-scale testimony of what Christ had done for him. He talked for nearly an hour, 
The security men listened in a quite friendly way to the news and then allowed him to cross the border into China, carrying with him his Bible. When Ake arrived at his village, he discovered one Christian Chinese girl who did not know much about the scriptures because she'd never had a Bible. Ake gave his Bible to her, and the word spread. Once Ake had become a Christian, he began to tell the good news to all his family, who one by one accepted it. Ah Bing's father was so pleased to see the change in his son-in-law that he too became a Christian and was baptized in the Spirit. The dinner he gave us all to celebrate was truly memorable. Quail eggs with strips of breast of chicken, beef with mushrooms, stuffed boneless roast duck, corn soup, braised duck's feet with another type of mushroom, boneless pork, fried in sweet soy sauce, steamed fish, sweet peanut soup, and pastries. Afterward, the father rose to his feet and announced, Once I was young, and now I am old. But never before have I seen a bad man become a good man. And what we're saying to you today is that can happen in your life. And many of you hang halfway toward Jesus and halfway toward the power of darkness. You're a Christian, but you're still not totally victorious. You're still in bondage. And part of what we are doing in reading this material is saying you can be free. Jesus came to deliver you, to set the oppressed free, to break the power of the bondage. That is for you. Anything you want to add? This can be your experience too. These young men, the reason they hadn't yet come off heroin was they never said, okay, I'm going to come off heroin. And then they and the other Christians with them prayed with them until that was complete. So this requires two things. It requires a commitment on the person who wants to be freed, but it also requires other believers who will, as Jesus said, wash, will wash each other's feet. I mean, these people stayed up in two-hour shifts for three days straight, day and night, with these addicts while they were coming off of drugs. So if we're really serious about seeing people freed, and they're really serious about getting freed, then we have confidence that as we pray that God will answer and he will deliver you. It's not maybe in the future he'll do it. He'll do it right now if you're willing. And that's part of why we invite you to, to call us, to come to the prayer chapel, because we're building a base of people who care, who are willing to wash one another's feet who are willing to walk with you as you grow in Jesus and get free. You don't have to be in that bondage. You can be free. Let's make this really practical. You might have maybe just one good Christian friend who can pray. 
you could ask that Christian friend, will you come and stay with me this weekend, starting on Friday, and will you pray with me in, in tongues, in English, in Spanish, in whatever language you speak? Will you pray with me until I come off drugs this weekend? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then if you have to call off work Monday, call off work Monday. But Jesus will deliver you. And get free. We have a testimony here written by one of the boys who was saved from drugs named Daniel. Daniel writes, Before I introduce myself, I thank our Lord Jesus for rescuing me from my past and for giving me a new wonderful life in him. My Chinese name is Alam, and my English name is Daniel. I don't mind which name you call me by. The reason I mentioned thanking our Lord Jesus is because I was a very bad person. I remember about 10 years ago, when I was just 14 years old, I left school and joined a triad gang. The reason I joined was because I wanted to be respected, known, and feared, and I felt that being a triad member would give me all this. So I dropped out of the normal way of life and began living in the underground world. One year later, I was arrested and charged with armed robbery. I was sentenced to a training center for young offenders for a period of nine months to three years. At the time, I really regretted what I did, and I felt sorry and miserable. I decided to change, to turn over a new leaf, to live a decent life as soon as I left prison. But on my discharge, instead of living a decent life as I planned, I became worse, got deeper into crime, and went around with my old friends back to the same places. I felt a big emptiness inside me. I wanted to forget everything, and so I turned to Big H, heroin. I was heavily addicted. I tried to get off drugs a couple of times, but never made it. It was by a stroke of luck, or more likely fate, that I came to know Jesus, and I repented and accepted him as my savior. I felt different. How can I explain it? It was as if I was released from something, as if a heavy burden was lifted from my shoulder. I felt free, wonderful. It was really a beautiful experience that I'll never forget, and I can truly say I've never looked back or had reason to look back since that day. He's given me so much, and I've learned so much from him, like patience, humbleness, and love, and I am learning more every day. It's very exciting life, and I thank Jesus for making all this possible. I hope and pray you will be able to have the same experience I had. Only then, you will fully understand what my testimony is all about. May God bless you. Daniel. And we say, too, may God bless you. We want you to be free. We want you to know Jesus, not just theology, not just doctrine. We want you to know Jesus and let him set you free. Free from addiction, free from anger, from bitterness, from bondage financially. We want you to be free in Jesus. 
This was written by one of the criminals who flocked to see me in the Willans after hearing what had happened to Aki. Word quickly spread along the Adak grapevine that they were willing to believe in Jesus. If they were willing, they would be receiving some kind of power that enabled them to kick the drugs painlessly. Addicts queued up to be admitted to Jean and Rick's house. I tried to avoid taking them into my Lung Kong Road house. It was so near the walled city that in 30 seconds or so a desperate addict could find an unlimited supply of heroin or opium. Also, it was possible for addicts to jump off our roof onto the next door flat, and knowing this made me feel less safe in our care with them. In Jean and Rick's flat, we gave them no option of escape. There was a secure double lock on the door, the windows were barred, and there were at least one person on watch 24 hours a day. A young man brought to my house by a priest said, I've seen what happens to addicts when they go to Miss Pullinger, and I would like to try, but I'm a bit worried about this Jesus bit. The priest replied, Don't worry about that. Jackie won't push it. He could not have been more wrong. If we did not push Jesus, we had nothing to offer the junkie. If he could not pray, he would only suffer agonies through withdrawal. Medication only postponed the pain. I had once seen six strong boys sitting on top of Little Cat when he was trying to kick drugs on his own. Little Cat was a small boy, but when the need for drugs came on him, he was suddenly strong enough to overthrow those six and run away half-crazed. I just want to stop a minute. We push Jesus. On Pilgrim's Progress, we push Jesus. We say he's the only way. He is the deliverer. If you come to Jesus, it's not quid pro quo. It's not a deal made. He wants you to give your life to him. He wants you to utterly surrender everything in your life, your time, your money, your energy. He wants you to become a servant of his so that you also then begin to go to work to set people free. Now, one of the great problems we face in the American church is that it's all about me and mine. One person said to me, the reason I go to church is to be inspired so I can go out and hit it again for another week and be successful. Wrong. That's not why I go to church. It shouldn't be the reason anyone goes to church. Church is not supposed to be a rah-rah inspirational session to motivate you to go out and make money. Church is a place where we come to surrender our lives, where we say, Jesus, I belong to you. Now, what would you have me do? How can I serve you? So we go to church to be invited to become strong in Jesus. And if you read Ephesians, the fourth chapter, 
There are apostles and prophets, teachers, the gifts of the Spirit, and they are for the building up of the body of Christ so that it becomes a unity, so that people then engage in this wonderful work of soul winning, of loving others, of setting others free, of releasing others from their bondage. So no, Jackie and the Christian church must stand very firm. We are here for Jesus. And Jesus died for us to set us free. She writes, We never had to face the problem of the junkies being unwilling to believe in Jesus. They did not come to us until they were ready to believe as they knew the way we worked. Their numbers grew until Jean and Rick's house was always more than full. Several times I was obligated to hire a room in the brothel where there were washing facilities and a plentiful supply of Chinese tea and locks on the door. There were drawbacks with this arrangement, however, beginning with registration. Obviously, we needed a place solely for the addicts to come off drugs and stay afterwards so that they could grow up as new Christians. Most of them had been seriously disturbed people before they became addicted, and they needed and demanded constant attention. Involvement with Aki. Alkit, one of Aki's relatives, brought our need for a secure house to a head. Having been off drugs for only a few days, he decided that he would like to control his own life again and left the Willens' house. All of us prayed that he would end up in a place where he could not continue his life of drugs and crime and that he would return to Jesus. This prayer was answered impressively. Aki, or Akit, was arrested and put behind bars. He underwent a real change of heart and genuinely repented in prison. As he waited for his case to come to court, he began to pray and talk to his cellmates about Jesus. He had been charged with armed robbery. At the trial, the judge commanded, or commented that Aukit had had an appalling record and well-deserved a long sentence. However, he heard Jean's account of Aukit's change of heart, and taking into account her willingness to care for him, the judge released him into our care for 18 months. The judge's clerk, the court officers, and the prison officers looked aghast. The judge had actually done the impossible in legal terms by releasing a man who had been arrested on such a charge. We knew differently, as two rows of us were sitting in court praying. We took Aukit home. On our way out, we overheard the prison wardens asking one another whether it was not more powerful to have a god than an attorney. Aukit began to slowly grow up as a Christian. He loved staying in the Willens' house, but he demanded 24-hour attention, and after a life of neglect, he yearned for love to him 
This was having someone talking to him all the time and being given exactly the same presence as Susie, the Willens' daughter. Should Jean turn to talk to someone else or settle down to do her own letter writing, he felt rejected. This caused such a strain on the family that one day Jean found 17-year-old Susie packing her bags. Either the addicts go or I go, she said, and she meant it. She was a serious Christian, but no family could survive that pressure for long. The time had come to find a new place that had a home atmosphere, plenty of love, and 24-hour surveillance by workers who were committed to looking after the boys full-time. You know, part of what we're seeing is that coming off sin, and please, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about coming off sin. takes real discipline, and it takes church community that's committed to leaving sin. It takes fellowship. It takes accountability. It might even take some bars on the window to keep us in. Many of you have tried to live a good Christian life, but if I were to ask you today, what is the condition of your Christian life, I would get many different kinds of answers. Most churches are teaching that you can never leave your sin. That's because churches are set up as entertainment centers, not as hospitals, not as places where we seriously deal with the sinner and call them to utterly leave their sin behind and get connected with Jesus and begin to involve themselves in the same work the rest of us are in, and that is setting the oppressed free, reaching out to the lost. Now, to be frank with you, I don't know how to go about this very well. It seems the institutional church is so structured How do we even begin to talk about how to help each other if we're still caught in sin, utterly leave that pornography, for example, or utterly to leave whatever it is? Well, it's certain that we've got to get serious about saving people, saving you. So, first step, I'm inviting you to come to the prayer chapel. And it's a house church. There's accountability, and you're welcome to call me, and we'll talk about your situation. Or you're welcome to talk with Alexandra. My phone number, I'm going to give it to you. Grab a piece of paper, pencil, jot it down. 703-489-1785. I'll give you that number again. Don't call if you're just casual. Call if you're serious about getting right with Jesus. Or if you are a Christian and you need a group who will pray for you. 703-489-1785. I would just add that these stories really show that It's not enough just for God to save somebody. It's not enough just for God to convert somebody. But he really relies on the church. He relies on Christians who will care, who will go 
the extra mile, the extra third mile, the extra fourth mile, who will go out of their way to involve themselves in other people's problems and pray with them and help them so that they can be free and so that they can be loved and so that they can grow up in Jesus. The fact is I meet people in the United States, around here in Washington, who've been converted, but their Christian life has been horribly undisciplined, bouncing from church to church, you hear this on YouTube, you read this book, you read this commentary, and you know, you have all this hodgepodge mix of ideas, and there's just been no real discipleship, and so each of us as Christians, even if it's just a few people who you can really love and care for and help them grow up, that's what's needed. We don't need some big program. We just need each of us as individual people to reach out to other individual people and love and help them and be there and help them grow up in Jesus. Now, we're almost out of time for this broadcast. I want to let you know that as we have come now to the end of this month, this is the last week, we still lack $1,900 from being able to pay for the radio broadcast for this month. We would like to continue doing this broadcast and inviting you, but it's going to take some of you to step forward and say we'd like to put in the offering a gift to Jesus for $1,900 or some portion thereof. So we need to hear from you. You can contact us at You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. You can also donate on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. This is a faith ministry. We stand every month. The Lord has covered the cost. This month, we're $1,900 short. We'll wait to hear from you. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.